Welcome to Wine Country Women with Michelle Mandreau, the podcast for wine enthusiasts who are curious not only about what goes in the bottle, but the remarkable women who make these distinctive winemaking regions so special. Each week, Michelle introduces you to a prominent woman and takes a peek inside her life. Welcome to today's Wine Country Women podcast. I'm Michelle Mandreau, and I'm talking with Kathy Corson, wine grower of Corson Winery here in the Napa Valley. Kathy, so great to sit down here with you today on this kind of overcast day in the Napa Valley. It actually rained a little bit last night. I know. We're so happy. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about your career. You are a Californian, first of all, I want to say. You studied biology. You went to UC Davis. What I found fascinating in my little research on you is that in college, you signed up for a wine tasting class, and that's kind of how you Got the wine bug. Is that true? It's absolutely true. I was 19 years old studying biology at Pomona College. And I can't make this up, but I was a springboard diver and a gymnast all my life. Did a lot of trampoline over time for training. And there was a program where students and professors taught classes, non-credit, in things that they knew. And so I was teaching a trampoline class. And at the, at, at the sign-up session, my table was right next to John Hager's. He was the Anglo-Francophilic Chinese professor at Pomona College that also wrote for um, Connoisseur Magazine and taught these wonderful wine appreciation classes. Um, on a complete whim, I put my name at the top of the list before other people came in to sign up. His table was right next to mine. And... Um, took that class and wine grabbed me by the neck for all the usual reasons. It's delicious. You share it with friends. It makes food taste better and vice versa. But layered in on top of that was that it's a whole series of living systems that, that conspire to the alchemy that is wine. We, we don't understand it that well even to this day, but it's, it's, it's alive and it's, um, uh, the result of a whole bunch of different living systems. So well, fascinating to me as a biologist. It's kind of a fascinating way that you got hooked into the wine business. I was 19 years old. <laughs> I don't think they would even let me take that class today. Probably not. Yeah. You eventually went on to UC Davis. And then when you embarked on your career, or should I say when you moved to Napa Valley in 1975, Five. Two days after graduation. Amazing. Yeah. And how did you decide to move to Napa? I'm curious. Well, back in those days, there weren't very many wine regions in California. Napa and Sonoma were really all there were. Mm-hmm. And Napa at the time was very lively and was waking up from Prohibition, which it ended in 33, but it took a long, long time before the wine business really started up again. And it started in the mid-60s. I got here in the mid-70s, and there was just there was so much going on. Sonoma is actually an older wine region even than Napa, but it wasn't quite as energized yet. You got a job in a tasting room at Sterling. I 
worked half-time here in the Valley, first at a wine bar in St. Helena that's long defunct, and then at the tasting room at Sterling. But all that year, I was driving over the hill and taking two classes at Davis. I was cleaning up chemistry that I had managed to avoid and starting to take the wine classes even before I was in the program there. I worked at the wine lab, which is still operational in Napa. During those days, those early days, my first commercial or production job was at Fremark Abbey, and then I was the winemaker at Everdun, a little tiny winery on Spring Mountain. Hmm. And from there, I went to Chapelet for all the 80s. So would you say your big break was Chapelet? Well, it was it was a 30,000 case winery, and it was already quite famous for all its wines, but especially its Cabernet Sauvignon. So yes, it was one of the luckiest breaks I could have ever hoped for. Or a turning point in your career? Would that be accurate? Sure. I, you know, I was. I, my intention was to be a full control winemaker, and that was my first big winemaking job. Once you landed here in the Napa Valley, at what point did you decide, okay, I'm going to pursue this career in winemaking? Was it always your intention, and oh, were you I, work, working I, towards that goal? I graduated from Pomona College in 1975, fully intending to, that's why I moved to the Napa Valley, that's why I went to study winemaking. I had, from that, sometime between my sophomore year and senior year in college, I knew where I was headed next, and and that's where I went. Was there a mentor along the way that helped you? There have been people that helped me hugely. I think people often wonder about other women in the business. There weren't very many. Um, Zelma Long was making the wine at... Mandavi, and I've only recently realized how important seeing her in that position was to me, but I'm one of the few women of that era that never worked with her um, or for her. So there were other men that were hugely supportive. Um, In 1978, I was an intern at Fremark Abbey Winery, where Larry Langben, the winemaker, hired me to be an intern right out of UC Davis with my master's degree. And it took two years. He he offered me the job in 77, but the the owners at the winery wouldn't have a woman, so he had to take it back. Oh, no. And, in fact, then I went back in 78 and did an internship there. That year there was another woman in a cellar at Inglenook. And I, if I'm not mistaken, that was the first time ever that women had hauled hoses in the Napa Valley. Amazing. Yeah. Isn't it? Now we're several years later. A few. <laughs> <laughs> what What do you think has been the biggest change that you've seen over these 40-plus years? Well, it's been huge sea changes. When I first got here, the Napa Valley was scratching its way out of the first half of the 20th century, which had two world wars, a depression, and... Um, prohibition. So fast forward, it was when I got here, Napa Valley was poor and perhaps even a little redneck around the edges. Fast forward to now, we're very close to the Bay Area and it's not a poor place anymore. But how about specifically for women in the industry? Well, everything's changed, you know, from no women at all in, nearly no women at all in production there are women at all levels. There are people doing cellar work. There are people... When I first got into the wine business, women only did laboratory work. 
but they're full control winemakers, they're cellar masters, they're, they're cellar workers. Out in the vineyard, that's taken longer to happen, but there are women managing vineyards. There are women on vineyard crews now. It's really very exciting. Don't you feel like you've been a trailblazer in that area? I hope so. What is some of the best advice that you could give a woman that wants to enter into the wine business? Okay, you need three things. You need to be passionate about wine and making wine. You need to be a little crazy. This is a very, very difficult business in general. And you need to be a little crazy. (laughs) You have those? And just start walking. Don't overthink it. And I would say this to anybody in any field. I think people are can be frozen by not knowing exactly where they're headed. And I think you just need to have those three things and then start walking. You know, make the right now from where you're sitting, make the best choice. And then there'll be paths that bifurcate for the rest of your life. And at every juncture, you choose. So anyway, I think it's mostly just start walking. Don't overthink it. Just dive in. Yeah. You've made wine here in Napa Valley, as we said, for quite some time now. Mm -hmm. You're known for your cabs. Cabs are king here in Napa Valley. Why just cab? Have you ever thought about going to other regions like Willamette Valley or... Or making well, I'm, I'm rather established here now, yes. and and I'm old enough that if if I'd gotten the memo, I'd be retiring. So, <laughs> so now, now no. Um, but if I were a young person coming out of school, there are so many options. One of the things that kids do now is they get out of school, enology school, and they hemisphere hop, and in two years they can get four vintages under their belt. We just weren't that mobile in those days. We did not travel like that. Um, Willamette Valley specifically visited there a couple years ago with our tasting group. And if I were a young person, I would be there in a heartbeat. It feels exactly like the Napa Valley felt when I got here, um, up there right now. So there's, there's, even just California has so many climates and soils, and I'm sure there's a niche there's a place for almost anything you wanted to make. And so there, if I got out of school today, I probably wouldn't be able to be in the Napa Valley, but there'd be plenty of other exciting things to look for. But you, you grabbed on to Napa. That's all it was. (laughs) And the question is why Cabernet? Right. You did ask. Cabernet, Napa Valley can make Cabernet as well or better than any place in the world. And among the things, it's, it's the perfect climate. It's hot here. It takes a lot of heat to get Cabernet Sauvignon reliably ripe. But it's also cold at night. We're an extension geologically of the San Francisco Bay, and the fog comes in every day in the summer and into the fall. So we've had highs in the 90s, sometimes higher, and the lows drop into the 50s. That's a huge diurnal shift anywhere in the world. Um, our soils are ideally suited here on the bench land. They're gravelly, loamy soils, so the vines have plenty of water to grow when they need to, but then we have rainless summers. That's very rare in the world. It does not rain here in the summer. So the vines run out of water, stop growing right when they should start ripening their grapes around the 1st of August. So it's just um, 
it's just a perfect little little corner of the world for Cabernet Sauvignon. And that's why I make Cabernet Sauvignon is because I'm in the Napa Valley. I love the wines of the world, but I'm in the Napa Valley. What else would I do? So how would you describe a Kathy Corison cab? Well, my my goal is to make Cabernet Sauvignon that is both powerful and elegant. Cabernet is going to be powerful no matter what you do, how you grow it, how you pick it, how you make it. Um, but for me, it's way more interesting at the intersection of elegance, which sounds like the opposite of power, and in a way it is, but they can be in the same glass at the same time. And that's what I've been chasing my entire adult life. I want them to grace the table. I want them to speak of where they grew. I want them to enjoy a long, interesting life. And what's a typical, dare I say, lifespan for a bottle of your cab? I used. I knew they would be long-lived because there's a long history of Cabernet produced on what we call, used to call the Rutherford Bench, dating all the way back into the 19th century, and the wines were very long-lived. So I knew they'd be long-lived, and I would say they would be 20 to 30-year wines. Now my first vintages are just sailing right past 30 years, so I don't really know how long-lived they'll be, but very. And you make your cabs out of vines that are over 50 years old? Well, some of them. Our, our yes. estate, Kronos Vineyard, is single vineyard bottled, and it turned 50 years old last year. Our other estate vineyard is 35 years old, and it's not as old as Kronos, but it's more than mature. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's still fantastic. Yeah. Right. And you only make one white. Mm-hmm. And, and that's it's, an it's interesting a, choice, too. And it's on a home winemaking scale, too. It's 150 cases. It's literally a home winemaking scale. Um, it's fun to make. We make a totally dry Alsatian-inspired Gewürztraminer. Um, originally from Anderson Valley, um, we're looking at a vineyard on Moon Mountain between Napa and uh, Sonoma AVAs um, for this next year. We also made a little tiny bit of Riesling last year from a, another historic vineyard down in the Cienega Valley. That's very exciting. It's the Wurtz Vineyard. It's 60 years old on its own roots on uh, limestone and granite sand, dry farmed. So. Again, so small that it's really just for reception when people come into the winery. And then when I do a wine dinner, it's, it, I have a white wine for a first course. And something extra special to yeah. share. But this is a Cabernet house. Top moment of your career so far? Oh, probably being dominated uh, for the James Beard Award uh, three times. Which is quite impressive. Yeah, for wine, you know, they, they give a, an award for wine producers or... Now I think it's alcoholic beverage producers. Yeah. Okay. And what's ahead for Kathy Corison? I'm asked that question a lot, and the, the implication is that it's going to get bigger. It's all these years it's stayed very small, um, the goal being to make better wine, not more wine. Um, I am of retirement age, but I want to be making wine when I'm 99. I don't want to be running a desk anymore. So we'll have to work that out. Right. Um, excited to see our two daughters in their 20s, interested in coming back into the business sooner or later. So that's something to work toward. And then as long as I've been an empty nester, which is getting to be six or seven years, 
I've turned my gaze to the vineyard in a way. I've always been involved in vineyards. I took all the viticulture classes at Davis, even though I didn't need to take a single one to get a master's degree in winemaking. Um, I've always been involved, but um, now that we have the estate vineyards, I actually manage them, and that's been a very steep learning curve for the last three years. We do all of our own work in the vineyard. Another very steep learning curve for me is to get better out in the vineyard because great grapes make great wine, period. I I can't make the wine any better than the grapes that come in the door. You talked about that you don't make lots of wine. Let's briefly talk about that. You you only make around 2,000 cases of wine, isn't it? It ranges between 2,500 and 3,000 cases, okay. Okay. and that's Mother Nature. It's small vintage will be closer to 2,500. Big vintage can be can eat inch over 3,000 Okay, cases. so teeny tiny. Teeny tiny. So if someone wants to come taste your wine and try to get some of that fabulous cab, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, you just go on our website, which is Corison.com, C-O-R-I-S-O-N, and there's, you just make an appointment. Okay. Love to love to have you. Learn more about the women who live in wine country when you purchase one of our lifestyle books at winecountrywomen.com. Well, let's shift now to your personal life. You ready? Sure. <laughs> I don't have anything to hide. <laughs> so you live here in St. Helena. How did you choose to have your home here in St. Helena? You could have lived in Yountville, Rutherford, Oakville. Well, if Napa. I were a young person today, I would probably live in Napa because it's hopping and it's exciting. It's closer to the city. I'm a theater buff. I love great food, great wine, theater, music. So it, if I were a young person, I would live there today. But when I got here, Napa wasn't nearly as interesting. And really the center of the wine business was St. Helena. And so I was a, I was a winemaker at Chapelet, which is nominally in St. Helena. And at some point, I lived up there for 10 years. Oh, wow. And at some point, um, it just seemed like the responsible thing to buy a house in St. Helena, and I did. I didn't even live in it. I rented it out. So I've just always, and I now I live in that house. Okay. And I've just always been centered around St. Helena, St. Helena. for 40-some years. So if we take a step inside that house, what would we see? What's your decorating style, color well, scheme? Well, right now it's, it's, it's a Victorian built in 1888, and it is sorely needed renovation for as long as I've owned it, which is 30-some years. But we're finally, it's finally torn apart, half of it. We're living in half of it, and the other part's torn apart. So there really is no decorating at the oh, moment. No. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's the plan? Oh, it's a Victorian, so I tend to like old, old furniture. I tend to, um, my husband loves Tiffany things. Uh, what else? I don't know. We use a lot of candles. Okay. I, so I don't know. I, I'm, I'm probably not the right person to ask. What the plan is for your decorating as you've torn no, apart it, the Victorian? It, we, won't have, we won't have the house ready for at least a couple of years. Oh, so. lordy. Okay. Yeah. Do you have a hobby? Do you collect something? I'm a knitter. Ooh. I. What do you knit? I, oh, at the moment I'm knitting a scarf, but I've knit sweaters and dresses and 
All sorts. Of, I mean, I've been knitting all my life. Are you part of the knitting club? No, I don't have time. Okay. I don't have time. But um, I'm a huge theater buff. Right. I subscribed to ACT in San Francisco, uh, Berkeley Repertory Theater in Berkeley. Uh, we are in Ashland at least once a year, every year, Ashland Shakespeare Festival. Um, anytime I'm in New York, I'm seeing shows. Uh, huge, huge um, theater buff and have been all my adult life. And we see a lot of music, um, opera, symphony. Um, John Consgard, an, another winemaker mm-hmm. in the Valley, yeah. is an impresario, and he does a um, chamber music um, series in Napa and has for decades. We're, we're always there. So when you kick back and relax, what kind of music do you like to put on and, and listen to at home? I would say mostly classical music. The other thing we do a lot is a, we, do, we hike a lot, a lot of camping, a lot of hiking, cross-country skiing. Oh, you like to work when you ski. <laughs> I, like to, I like to move, yeah. yeah. Where are some places that you ski? Well, there's Royal Gorge up near Truckee. There's Napa, no, Truckee Donner near Truckee as well. But when, when the kids were younger and there was a ski week at their school, we went all over. We went to up into Oregon and Washington and, and Utah and... and um, Colorado? I've done a little cross-country skiing. I used to... I used to call on accounts in the mountains in the winter, and I would the Vail uh, golf course is turned into cross country skiing. Hmm. I haven't done that for a very long time, but okay. but that was fun. I'm sure you've done quite a bit of traveling. You've alluded to That's it important. just recently. Yeah. Is there a meaningful trip that you can tell us about? Oh, they're uncountable, really, because. By the early 80s, and I was the winemaker at Chapelet, I had the time and the means to travel to wine regions. I didn't do that as a student or right after school, but and I never went to wine regions to work, but I've been to many wine regions all over the world to see what they do. We, I've been tasting in a tasting group of mostly winemakers that we've been tasting together now for 40 years little more than 40 years. And we've traveled to um, Tuscany together to check out the winemaking. We've traveled to Bordeaux. We stayed in Saint-Emilion and checked out the winemaking in Bordeaux. Um, my husband and I, in about a month, are headed for Piemonte, which is where my favorite wines are made um, these days. And why do you That's like Barolo. Those wines. They're beautiful. They're they're a lot like what I talked about trying to do with my wine. They're powerful and elegant. They're aromatic. They age into beautiful floral perfume. Um, they're built for food. They're moderate in alcohol. They're just some of the great wines of the world. Is there something that people might be surprised to learn about you? I was a single engine pilot for a while. And then while I was at Chapelet, it's been a long, long time, but toward the end of that endeavor, I got my glider rating. And that was that was more than 30 years ago. But, oh, so I can't yeah. put you in a plane now? No, no I, I don't think you'd be safe. <laughs> oh, that's pretty cool. I'm shocked. I'm shocked. Well, you just amaze me left and right.
If you kick back and relax and you weren't pouring a glass of your wine at home, what else would you be drinking? I love the wines of the world. Uh, there's always a Mosul in our refrigerator. Um, I just mentioned I've the wines of northern Italy have got my attention big time. I also love the wines of, of Tuscany uh, in Italy. I love uh, Burgundy when it's good. That's risky because it's expensive and it's not always good. Um, I love Cote Roti. I love good Bordeaux wines. I love wines from the from northern Greece, Zinomaro. I love... So you are a I, wine girl. I love... Through that's, and through. that's why I make wine. Yeah. I love wine. Bucket list. Can you tell us one or two things that might be on there? Is there something crazy that you well, I checked off, want to do? I checked off <laughs> the, the, the item at the top of my bucket list in the summer of 90, 2019. Um, and I went to the Galapagos Islands. I wrote a paper on the Galapagos Islands when I was a senior in high school. And I think that single-handedly turned me into a biologist, which eventually turned me into a winemaker. Um, and I finally got there. Um, so that's been checked off. Are you telling me you've done it all? No. I'm telling you the list is too long to no. come up with a favorite. <laughs> um, but it would all be travel-oriented. You know, it would be getting to... Um, more of Switzerland, more of Germany. I've never been to um, Africa. I've never been to, I've barely been to South America. I had to, on my way to the Galapagos, I went through Ecuador, but I can't say as I've really been there. So yeah, that would be just, interesting to go just, on there's safari. A big, there's a big world out there. Yeah, there is. Uh, well, let's wrap things up with what mm -hmm. I like to call five quick questions. They're very, very lighthearted. So just play along, Kathy. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of car do you drive? I drive a Tesla Y. Okay. What's your favorite flower? It's a shooting star. Ooh, that's... It's a wildflower that is absolutely beautiful. Favorite holiday? Probably Halloween because it's so innocent. Hmm. That's an interesting choice. What's in your nightstand? A Book. few things that are in your nightstand. <laughs> I, books. Books. Okay. Yeah. She's got books in her nightstand. And what's one of your all-time favorite movies? One of them. Just one. Shakespeare in Love. There you go. Kathy, you are a fantastic woman, and I really just can't thank you enough for spending some time with me today. It's it been fun. fun. It was fun. Visit winecountrywomen.com to join our exclusive list so you can be the first to learn about upcoming offers and events. Grab a glass and join us next week for a new edition of Wine Country Women.